Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.05 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 5th of February, 2021. And this is episode 361 of Bitcoin, and you can soon win Bitcoin by playing Counter-Strike. Yep, if you like video games, you should probably go check out my good friends over at ZBD, um, because Bitcoin startup ZBD will roll out CSGO servers that lets players of Valve's popular PC shooter win BTC through competition. Andrew Hayward is writing this one for Decrypt.co. And for those of you who don't know, we're talking about Counter-Strike. That's right. If you're a Counter-Strike freak, you, you can play it and now get <laughs> win some Bitcoin. Crypto gaming is gaining momentum through original games like the Sandbox and Axie Infinity. But we're also starting to see the technology implemented into some of the biggest traditional games on the market. Engines plug-in for using non-fungible token NFT crypto assets on Minecraft servers is a key example. Although, engine, screw engine. <clears throat> Here's one that might actually earn you some crypto in the process. This week, Bitcoin startup ZBD will launch the first servers for popular first-person PC shooter Counter-Strike Global Offensive, or CSGO. That implement Infuse is its technology that allows users to earn small amounts of Bitcoin based on their in-game performance. And according to ZBD co-founder and CEO Simon Cowell, The news is already generating a ton of buzz in gaming circles. Quote, the announcement of our Bitcoin integration with CSGO has resonated with gamers in a way I hadn't seen before in blockchain gaming, Cal told Decrypt. Waitlist signups are already enough to keep our first 10 servers full. Jeez. So we plan to expand capacity very soon. I have a good feeling that we finally cracked the infiltration of crypto into mainstream gaming, end quote. Here's how it'll work. When playing one of the ZBD's Infuse servers, you'll scan a QR code at the start of the match with a smartphone app to pay a small amount of BTC, as little as 100 Satoshis. Over the course of the game, your potential winnings will fluctuate as you rack up kills and or die with your share of the pot based on your percentage of the total game score. At the end, if you had a successful match, you may finish with more Satoshis than you use to buy into the match. Players can cash out at any time, and transactions are handled by the Lightning Network. Ultimately, ZBD plans to also launch servers that require no entry fees thanks to the support of partners whose advertising will be implemented into the experience instead of charging players to compete. While the amounts up for grabs will be relatively small, it's an opportunity for players to stack sats and earn a little bit of Bitcoin while playing a game. ZBD is tapping into a potentially massive audience as well, Valve's free-to-play tactical shooter draws more than 1 million peak concurrent users on a regular basis and had an estimated 24 million monthly active players as of early last year. It also has a robust esports scene that has awarded more than 108 million fiat dollars in U.S. to date and draws significant viewership from regional and global competitions. According to Cal, the company plans to launch 10 servers this week to start and they will be open to all players 24-7 so long as there is space for them on the servers. Players will need to download ZBD's desktop desktop app to gain access to the Infuse-powered servers. ZBD plans to add more servers in time to accommodate additional players and expects significant demand after demonstrating the CSGO tech at recent Mint Gox Bitcoin gaming meetups, including one held last weekend. Cal believes that the opportunity for CSGO players to earn Bitcoin will most benefit amateur and casual players who aren't part of the professional esports scene, although he suggests that the ultimate impact will be a wider ranging, will be wider ranging across competitive gaming as well. 
quote, the biggest revolution will be for ordinary players. At the moment, esports tournaments are only open to a small elite of pros who win all of the money, he added. Cal said he believes ZBD integration will change the world of informal esports gaming the same way Robinhood opened up the world of stock trading. Let's just hope it doesn't have the same effects after they've opened. I'm just saying. For ZBD's sake, though, let's hope it's not exactly the same way Robinhood changed trading. Uh, yeah, that, uh, yeah. Uh, echoing my own thoughts there. Thank you very much. Now, over across, way across several ponds, we have Australia's central bank saying that Bitcoin is not really money and it's no risk to financial stability. <laughs> Nothing to see here, pal. Nothing to see here. This is Sebastian Sinclair writing for Coindesk sometime this morning. The Reserve Bank of Australia has delivered somewhat dismissive co comments on Bitcoin at a meeting of the House of Representatives Standing Committee on Economics. According to a report by the Australian Financial Review on Friday, the central bank's assistant governor for financial systems, Michelle Bullock, said there's a lot of fuss over Bitcoin. The comments were in a response to Queensland's Liberal National Party member, Julian Simmons, who had asked the assistant governor if the bank reviewed or viewed Bitcoin and cryptocurrency as a financial risk. Quote, Bitcoin is not a payment instrument and it's not even really money, said Bullock. I think there's a lot of fuss about it as a potential asset, end quote. Bullock said she didn't see Bitcoin volatility as a risk to the market, a view that was echoed by Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe. Quote, Bitcoin is a risk to investors, but it's not a financial stability risk, <laughs> end quote, Lowell said. Bullock noted that issues being broadcasted more prominently revolved around stablecoin regulation. Quote, Facebook is putting out DM, for, formerly Libra. There's a lot of discussion about this. No, no not really. <laughs> no, no, there's not. It's, it's almost dead. We are engaged with other regulators about this, end quote, said Bullock in the report. Quote, with those sorts of coins, nothing will happen until the regulators are happy, she warned. Okay, there's just so much wrong here. First of all, it's Australia. Who gives a shit? I mean, it's honestly, I like Australians, but it's not like Australia's government really drives what's going on in, in the financial world, okay? They just basically parrot whatever the Federal Reserve Bank wants them to say, right? It's what they want them to say, which is what's going on probably in Estonia, but we'll get to that story later. The, the whole notion that, that they're actually wasting time looking at Diem kind of is all you really need to know. I mean, honestly, who's been, who, who do you know that's been talking about Diem and can't shut up about it? Nobody. Hell, the entire Libra, whatever, board of directors, <clears throat> we're not board of directors, but, you know, the consortium, the Libra consortium thing, they're all gone. Visa's integrating Bitcoin. I mean, Diem is dead. And these guys are still thinking it's a thing and using it as a slam against Bitcoin. So if that doesn't tell you all you need to know about where they are mentally on this, then nothing else will. Coinmetrics is now tracking the real supply of Bitcoin. Andrew Asmakov is writing this for Decrypt.co. When was it? Yeah, sometime this morning. Blockchain analytics firm Coinmetrics has released a new metric, which is supposed to give a more realistic representation of Bitcoin's circulating supply. According to the major cryptocurrency aggregators, there are 18.6 million Bitcoin in existence. However, as Coinmetrics points out, many coins are lost and not available to the market anymore. <clears throat> that doesn't mean that they're not in circulation. They're out there. They just can't be accessed. Okay, there's a difference. <clears throat> This led the researchers to create a so-called free float supply, something they believe gives a more realistic representation of the market's Bitcoin supply. According to the metric, this number is currently standing at 14.5 million BTC. This means that roughly 3.9 million Bitcoin that are supposed to be in circulation has been wiped out. No, they're still there. They're just inaccessible. Again, there's a difference. The researchers haven't detailed what their methodology is based on. However, a quick look at the chart suggests they excluded coins that haven't moved for the past five years. <laughs> oh, shit. This doesn't necessarily mean that those coins are lost. Thank you. 
Circulating supply is the current amount of a cryptocurrency that has been mined and is technically available to use. Circulating supply is also the key metric used when calculating market capitalization of a coin. The coin metrics team has also applied this free float methodology to Bitcoin forks, which we do not give a shit, so I'm not even going to say their name. We shall move on. According to the researchers, this implies that the market cap of both Bitcoin and its bullshit cousins can be overstated, and this might have implications for the investors using market cap as a benchmark value. If these estimates are correct, that could mean that Bitcoin's real market cap is $539.8 billion instead of the asserted $691.3 billion, with even lower values for the forks of the largest cryptocurrency. Quote, it's a different view <clears throat> for the community to decide on, said the Coinmetrics team. This is not the first time Coinmetrics offers alternative approaches to commonly applied metrics. Last year, the firm's lead analyst, Kareem Helmi, suggested a new technique to measure miners' activity. <clears throat> okay, so, uh, you know, it's not like this comes as a surprise. We know there is Bitcoin that is quote-unquote lost, but is it really lost? I mean, it's inaccessible, yes. Is it lost? I don't know. Only the future can tell. See, the point is, is that those Bitcoin are still are actually out there. And when, you know, when we lose Bitcoin, in, if you're in, you know, on Bitcoin Twitter or whatever, generally speaking, people will tell you, thank you for your loss. You know, I, because it just makes the circulating supply that is completely and 100% accessible <clears throat> more valuable, which actually kind of disturbs me in sometimes. I don't really worry about it at all, but sometimes I think as a, as a thought experiment, I'm like, okay, well, if we continuously lose Bitcoin and there's never going to be any more Bitcoin, is there a threshold at which we've lost enough that the value proposition starts to decrease? And I really don't think that there is because it kind of goes back to the theory that you can run the world's economy on $1. That's a, that's a real thing. I mean, don't laugh. <laughs> you can literally run it on $1 because all of this, even Bitcoin supply cap of 21 million is just an, it's an arbitrary number. The division into 100 million Satoshis per Bitcoin is an arbitrary number. One dollar, if sufficiently divided, could run a global economy. And I think that this is probably where that, where that really terrible winemaker, Francis Coppola, gets her infinitely divisible pizza. And that's not what we're saying here. <clears throat> she, I'm not even going to get into that. If you don't know what the infinitely divisible pizza in is, you got to Google... Francis Coppola and infinitely divisible pizza so that you can get, get a handle on it. Still, the point is here that any, whether fiat or crypto or anything, there is the possibility that you can run a global economy off of something that has an, enough divisibility that Everybody can have a little bit. And maybe, I don't know, maybe that is exactly where Francis Coppola may have an argument. I don't know. I don't want to completely, dis, you know, completely dismiss it because if I am missing something, it could come back to bite me in the ass. So I do think about these kind of things, but I don't really worry myself about it. And I don't think you should either. If people are losing their Bitcoin, it is going to make the Bitcoin that is held more valuable in the future. However, that's that kind of supply shock is something that is seething under the surface and may not rise until well after, you know, years and years, maybe even decades from now, it won't actually pop up and infiltrate uh, a value readjustment on the Bitcoin chain for decades. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's hard to tell. I know that when the halving occurs, it takes six months. Historically, it takes like six to eight months for that supply shock, which is immediate. I mean, you drop in half as far as how much Bitcoin can be mined by the miners every four years. And yet the day after, the price basically says meh. And it's done that every single time almost. Actually, every single time that I'm aware of, if I go back and look at the price chart compared to where the halvings occur, 
it takes quite a while for that supply shock to have some kind of impact. I would imagine that the loss of 3.9 million Bitcoin, if it is, if it is forever and yawn inaccessible, um, will have the same effect. But I think that effect will take even longer than the effect of a supply shock on the having. So <clears throat> how can you ensure that shit? Or, you know, like, you know exactly when the halving is and you know exactly how many coins there are, at least uh, how many have been produced by miners. Well, you run a full node and apparently Jack Dorsey, the Twitter CEO, has done just such a thing. He set up his full node. We'll find out about it from Tanzil Akhtar from Coindesk, who's writing this one sometime again this morning. Twitter and Square CEO Jack Dorsey is further supporting Bitcoin with the launch of his own node, software that helps validate transactions and blocks on the network. On Friday, Dorsey shared an image on Twitter showing the node in the action of synchronizing with the Bitcoin blockchain. He simply said, running Bitcoin. Oh, nice. Good, good callback. Uh, he, he knows his history. The node will mean Dorsey has a hand in processing Bitcoin transactions and recording them in encrypted blocks of data. Nodes are vital to keeping the Bitcoin network running. Dorsey is noted a noted proponent of Bitcoin, having bought Bitcoin payments or brought Bitcoin payments to Square's Cash App and having launched Square Crypto, a team that supports Bitcoin development. Last February, he had Twitter launch a branded hashtag for Bitcoin, meaning hash Bitcoin in tweets produced the iconic Bitcoin logo. So full node runner there, uh, which is kind of kind of interesting. Will he attach his own wallet to it? Uh, will he? I don't know. Will will he support his family members' Bitcoin usage off of his full node like a like a good Uncle Jim? Right? Who knows? Who knows? But at least he's running one, and apparently Jack is a big uh, Mac user. Given the screenshot that I'm looking at, uh, who would have thunk it? Visa reveals API pilot to help banks buy Bitcoin. This was on February the 3rd and written by Darius Z for btctimes.com. Visa has partnered with First Boulevard, a neo-bank focused on the financial empowerment of the United States black community to conduct crypto asset application programming interface or API tests. According to a February 3rd announcement, First Boulevard will be the first bank to have access to Visa's crypto API, allowing the firm to purchase, custody, and trade digital assets such as Bitcoin held by American federally chartered crypto bank Anchorage. Through this collaboration, the payment processing giant hopes to better understand ways to facilitate the access to crypto assets for financial institutions lacking specific infrastructure. Visa Chief Product Officer Jack Forrestal shed more light on the long-term aim of the API. Quote, We set out to make Visa the bridge between digital currencies and our global network of 70 million merchants, and today we are the leading network for crypto wallets with 35 crypto platforms choosing to issue with Visa. With this pilot program, we want to extend the value of Visa to our neobank and financial institution clients by providing an easy bridge to crypto assets and blockchain networks, end quote. Visa potentially integrating Bitcoin and shitcoins with its exceptionally long list of partners and customers is a major development, but not unexpected. As the BTC Times reported in late October, Michael Novogratz, founder and CEO of cryptocurrency merchant bank Galaxy Digital, predicted that within a year's time, Major credit card companies such as Visa, MasterCard, and American Express would follow in, in, in PayPal's footsteps and launch offerings for merchants to transact uh, in stablecoins and cryptocurrencies. Visa claims that it chose First Boulevard for this project as part of its commitment to embedding diversity and inclusion into its partnerships and go-to market strategies. Prioritizing firms such as this one reportedly aims to, quote, level the playing field when it comes to access to new technologies. The bank CEO and president, Donald Hawkins, better explain the institution's purpose and Bitcoin's role in it. Quote, the first boulevard mission is to help black America build wealth. We are thrilled to partner with the leader in digital payments, Visa, and leverage their crypto APIs to provide another channel for the black community to access crypto as a new asset class that can help build black wealth. <clears throat> well, okay. Um, the shit coinery aside, uh, I guess in retrospect, it was inevitable. 
$11 million gone in yearn finance exploit. Speaking of inevitable, Jeff Benson tells us about what happened to yearn. If you're yearning to burn, listen up. Uh, he's writing this for Decrypt.co sometime yesterday. DeFi yield farming project yearn finance has been hit by yet another exploit that has affected a die lending pool, according to this Twitter to its Twitter account. The tweet posted at around 5 p.m. Eastern Time U.S. states, quote, we have noticed the V1 YDAI vault has suffered an exploit. The exploit has been mitigated. Full report to follow. <laughs> My God almighty, people. How many times is you, how many, how many times do we have to go through this? It, this is just like the most hackable thing on the face of the planet. You're in developer Bantag one of the administrators of the DeFi Project's website followed with a few more details. Quote, Yearn Die V1 Vault got exploited. The attacker got away with $2.8 million US. The vault lost, lost $11 million US. Deposits into strategies disabled for V1 Die, TUSD, USDC, and USDT vaults while we investigate. <clears throat> The suspected exploit involves 160 nested transactions, if they're always the problem, and pointed out Ave founder and CEO Stan, uh, Stanny Kulichov. The trading price for the Wi-Fi governance token fell sharply on the news, plummeting from 34700 to 30500 in minutes, though it's since rebounded slightly. Yearn aggregates DeFi lending protocols such as Ave and Compound to make sure users get the best return on their loan. <clears throat> two things. I still don't know what the hell Yearn does. Loan for what? So for more tokens that I can take over to Pineapple Coin and farm yams and then deep fry my bananas so that I can get some sushi? That's, as far as I can tell people, that's all this shit really does. I have no idea how you actually interact with real world stuff. Like, I can, I mean, I can find somebody, <clears throat> I guarantee you the number of people that I know in Bitcoin, I can find somebody who will figure out a way to broker a way for me to buy land with Bitcoin without me having to sell it into fiat. There is no way <clears throat> on God's green earth, somebody's taking yearn bananas or yearn pineapples or yearn sushi or whatever the hell's going on with that whole thing is ridiculous. Please, please, please stay out of it because the second point here is that it's continuously getting hacked. I'm not even, I'm not even look, you know, going to say bad shit about the price plummeting. Hell, Bitcoin sees price plummets all the, all the fricking time, right? That's nothing new. But Bitcoin is like hardly ever gets hacked because the people that run businesses that hold Bitcoin generally speaking, are very, very, very careful. In fact, they are approaching the kind of care that the Bitcoin core maintainers and all the developers take when they're reviewing code or doing pull release, uh, uh, push requests or, or, or sorry, pull requests and merges and all that kind of stuff. These guys just like this whole, you know, move fast and break shit is just going to lose you money. Please, for the love of God, stop yearning to burn. Now, speaking about getting burned, we have Peter Schiff, who uh, I think it was yesterday tweeted, in retrospect, it was inevitable. Although in his case, I don't think that he's in a good mood when he's writing it because gold took a freaking bath. I mean, a big bath. It was actually a surprising drop, even for me. And I don't really care about the metal, the shiny metal rocks, but even I was looking at the chart going, holy shit, what the hell happened? Well... Bitcoin robs from gold as precious metal sinks below $1,800. Okay, this is actually Fox Business. Jonathan uh, Garber is writing this one. Uh, Bitcoin's emergence as an investment thesis on Wall Street has tarnished some of gold's allure. Its parabolic ascent has drawn the attention of firms including BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, and the support of tech entrepreneurs like Tesla CEO Elon Musk. Quote, the Bitcoin craze, please don't call it a craze. The Bitcoin craze does seem to have detracted from funds that would ordinarily have gone to the gold market, wrote David Rosenberg, chief economist and strategist at the Toronto-based Rosenberg Research. 
He says statistical work conducted by his firm found that the gold price would be higher by at least $200 per ounce had all that money not poured into Bitcoin. The cryptocurrency's investment market has grown to 20% the size of bullion. Bitcoin in 2020 became more widely accepted as an investment vehicle on Wall Street as money managers looked for new ways to capitalize on the massive amounts of stimulus provided by the Federal Reserve. The central bank last year slashed interest rates to near zero, pledged to buy an unlimited amount of assets, <clears throat> and extend up to three or $2.3 trillion in loans to support the economy from its COVID-induced slowdown, the sharpest of the post-World War II era. Bitcoin could challenge gold's appeal as a hedge against future inflation risk, said Blueford Putnam, managing director and chief economist at CME Group. Putnam points to Bitcoin's tightly constrained supply and the expectation that gold production will increase this year as evidence. He also noted that fluctuations in gold prices appear to be most, mostly tied to policy shifts by the Federal Reserve. Rosenberg also noted that weakness in gold prices can be attributed to real yields or a bond's nominal yield minus the rate of inflation, quote, becoming increasingly less negative, end quote, and the amount of gold global bonds with below zero yields reaching a three-month low. The price of an ounce of gold settled at 1,832 per, uh, per ounce on Wednesday after climbing to as much as 35% last year to a high of 2,051 as investors priced in the aggressive policies of the Fed. The gains came while appetite for jewelry and other physical gold fell due to many retailers having to temporarily close their doors to help spread, slow the spread of the, the Rona. Not everyone is convinced the gold market only moves as a result of the Fed's actions. James O'Rourke, a commodities economist at the London-based research firm Capital Economics, says a rebound in consumer demand will support prices this year. Quote, arrival in jewelry consumption is in key consumer India and China will put a floor under the gold price this year, even as investment demand for gold eases back slightly, he wrote. Analysts at the Chief Investment Office of USB Global Wealth Management note a 14% drop in aggregate gold demand last year proves that investor flow, not jewelry demand, nor central bank buying, dictate prices. They say the direction of real interest rates, the U.S. dollar, and market uncertainty will be the important price drivers into early 2022. Quote, with the United States recovery gathering pace in 2H, real interest rates are likely to start rising and therefore weigh on gold prices, wrote a team led by Wayne Gordon, quote, on the other hand, we anticipate further USD weakness to support prices, end quote. Net-net, the UBS analyst, see gold climbing above $1,900 an ounce during the first half of this year before falling to $1,800 in early 2022, quote, while our forecasts, uh, show limited upside for gold from a tactical standpoint, its strategic role in a portfolio context remains highly irrelevant. So if you want some shiny metal rocks, uh, you, it just may be moving sideways for quite a while. I mean, who knows? I, I'm i not a fan of the shiny metal rocks at all. Uh, let's see, what else we got? Oh, you know what we got to do? We got to run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. Uh, it looks like everything is up today. Uh, oil, West Texas Intermediate, is up almost a full point, $56.76. Brent North Sea is up over a point, a point or actually 1.04. 59.45 gets you a barrel of Brent North Sea. Natural gas swinging high to the upside by 3%, and it comes in at $3.02 for 1,000 cubic feet of that. Oh, man. Gold is up 0.65%. It'll come in at $1,802. Silver is up 1.34%, bucks. Platinum is up 1.5%. Copper is up 1.3%. Palladium is up 1.2%. Over in, uh, over in index future, yeah, index land, uh, Dow, yeah, meh. Dow is up half a point. S&P futures up half a point. NASDAQ futures up 
S&P mini is up 0.71%, but let's talk about real money. Bitcoin is at $37,750, or sorry, that was wrong. That was so wrong of me. $37,700.51. Okay, there we go. There we go. Do I have a low? I do have a low. It's over at hit BTC, 37,605. And yeah, 37,700 is the high. So, you know, I don't know, 100 bucks, wiggle room. 334,500 transactions performed in the last 24 hours gives about 14,000 transactions on average per hour. Uh, ooh, yeah, 655,000 BTC being sent in the last 24 hours gives around 37,300 BTCs being sent on average per hour with about two BTC being the average transaction value. The median transaction value is weighing in at 0.02 BTC or about 850 bucks. Block times are still pretty low, nine minutes and 10 seconds. Uh, we have 0.93 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and almost 150 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Uh, man, spike in hash rate. I think we just hit an all-time high. Almost 5% to the up, upside, and we are sitting at 164.3 exahashes per second. Doge is at four, four and a half cents. I don't know why this happens. I'm I'm surprised that it hasn't fallen back to its traditional realm of at least sub one penny per doge already, but somehow or another, the Musk pump seems to have have taken hold. I don't know, guys. You know that I hold a bag of Doge because I bought it a long time ago, and I was I was asked, "How's that bag of Doge looking now?" And this was when it was like eight eight and a half cents during the the height of the whole GameStop. And, and Wall Street bets stuff. And I just, honestly, I just was like, I just did nothing. I, I, I had like, I, I'm going to do nothing now. I mean, if I, I guess if I had like a couple of million doge, I might actually get off my ass, pull it off my wallet, send it over to Kraken and trade it for BTC. But I'm at this point, I don't care. It's like that whole, this whole doge pump is, is silly. I think, you know, and people that are mad at Musk, let's think about why we're mad at Musk for this, just just for a second. Um, we're mad at Musk because the pump worked. <laughs> if I had said, buy Doge, nobody would have given a shit. But it's because of the who Musk is and how many people know him. You can't get away from influence. It's just that way. Sorry, but, you know, I'm not mad at him, although I think he needs to rein it in a little bit. Uh, let's see, where are we at? Market cap for Bitcoin is 7 $108 billion. We've captured over 6% of gold's market cap. Bitcoin is going to buy you, one of them was going to buy you 20.9 ounces of silver. We have 18,620,019.15 BTC in circulation at a price of 38065 according to Clark Moody's dashboard. 35,000 transactions are going to have to onboard 78 blocks to clear. As far as the Lightning Network is concerned, we have 1,072 BTC, and that gives us a Lightning capacity of $40.8 million. That's the highest I've ever seen it. That's over 8,763 nodes, representing 37,700 channels. Tor capacity has increased. We are now at 53% of the Lightning Network being run over what, 3,328 Tor nodes, and it has a capacity of 568.14 BTC. That's going to do it for Vitals. All right, it is now 7.55 a.m. Central Standard Time. Had to go... Uh, Take the kids to school, get them dressed, all that kind of stuff. So uh, sorry for the uh, sorry for the delay. Um, uh, all the numbers that I just read to you are probably now all wrong because you know this is this is Bitcoin land. Continuing with the news, Coin Telegraph's Osato Avin Namoyo is writing this one for Coin Telegraph: Estonia's crypto honeymoon at an end as stricter regulations loom. Okay, Estonia, I expected better from you, but apparently you're. Justice captured by regulatory bullshit is the rest of the world, so is nowhere safe. 
Estonia's finance ministry is reportedly looking to enact stricter crypto licensing regulations. This comes after the authorities revoked the licenses of about two-thirds of the cryptocurrency businesses operating in the country back in 2020. Way back in 2020, like last year. Telling you, man, shit moves fast in this space. According to ERR News, the Estonian Ministry of Finance issued draft legislation back in January to tighten the noose on the country's crypto industry because God knows you don't need a new industry, right, Estonia? As part of the proposed rule changes, the... What the hell? I can't even pronounce this. Financinspectisiun is literally, I guess, the Estonia's financial supervisory authority. I, why, why, whatever. We'll over, they will oversee the regulation of cryptocurrency businesses instead of the financial intelligence unit. This change will bring crypto oversight under the purview of financial regulators as against the current paradigm where the EU, or sorry, EU, FIU, which is part of the police department who handles the monitoring of cryptocurrency businesses. Crypto firms interested in operating in Estonia will have to pay a licensing fee. You mean a bribe? You mean protection money? Fucking dude, it's just nothing but a bunch of gangsters everywhere in the world. These are all gangsters, people. See, this is what drives us crazy when, our, when, when you're somebody whose eyes gets open to what's really going on and you're having a discussion with somebody who really thinks that their government is acting in their best interest. This is why we have such a huge disconnect and why our, our stomach starts to churn. When you're talking to somebody you really respect and appreciate and love is either a family member or a fr- loved friend and they just don't get it. And you tell them, it's like, no, these people are gangsters, and they look at you cross-eyed, and then the whole scene from The Matrix comes in when Morpheus is trying to explain to Neo that most of these people are not ready to be unplugged. That's what, why The Matrix is probably one of the most important movies ever made. And I, I am not lying about that. I believe that The Matrix is probably the most important movie made in, la- well, last century. Because it was, was it, well, no, I may, maybe it was like way early 2000. I don't know. I'd have to look and I'm not going to do it. We need to continue on here. Just, I'm just saying, this is why your stomach churns because you know the truth. You know, these people are just gangsters. Otherwise they wouldn't be extorting a quote licensing fee. It's, you might as well call it, you know, hey, like the gangsters come into your, your bodega on the corner in New York City and they want protection money. No, they're just extorting your ass. The protection money is so that they don't come back themselves and beat the living shit out of you. That's all this is. Licensing fee, protection fee, regulatory fee, filing fees. It's all the same. All of these people are gangsters. The world is run by gangsters. I I know I sound crazy, and yeah, maybe I got a tinfoil hat on my head, but... I don't view that. I cannot view this as anything other than gangsterism. And it should all be, you know, at this point, we have a RICO Act in the United States, yet we are not actually prosecuting the proper people on the RICO Act. <clears throat> By the way, RICO is the organized crime thing. Anyway, crypto firms uh, interested in operating is, in Estonia will have to pay protection money to a Frank Tikkasasasa spoon. The current 381 license holders will all also have to reapply for an operating permit from the Financial Supervisory Authority, which means they're going to shake down the currently operating 381. They want money from them too. That's why they have to reapply so that they have to pay the, li- the uh, protection money. According to Eric Piegel, a spokesperson for the finance ministry, the government's aim is not anti-crypto in nature. However, authorities expect that only 50 to 100 crypto firms that already hold licenses are in a position to comply with the proposed regulatory rule changes. The proposed rule changes are also coming amid efforts by the government to combat money laundering activities. Back in June 2020, a $220 billion money laundering scandal erupted involving Danske Bank. Also in 2020, reports emerged that crypto scammers had overrun the country's e-residency program. Yeah, you wanted these people to come in and then you got them and now you're pissed? The hell's wrong with you? However, Estonians... Recent political upheaval with the resignation of Prime Minister Juri Radis 
amid a corruption scandal, has put the passage of the proposed legislation on hold. Thank God. Indeed, today was the deadline for Parliament to debate on the issue. Okay, so, gee, he resignation due to a corruption scandal, and now we have protection money that has to be. How is it that you're still looking at government having your best interest in mind? This is a global shakedown, and not just in crypto, in everything. And it's been that way since the Federal Reserve came into power, at least for most of the Western world. I mean, I don't know what was going on in the middle of Africa at the time, but in 1913, everything changed, at least for the Western world, because our bullshit ended up spilling over into every other country in the, on the face of the freaking planet, especially in the Western part of the world. It's just, this is insane, and it has to stop. And sadly, I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon, because police see $60 million of Bitcoin. Now, where's the password? I can't believe they use the word password. John O'Donnell is going to tell us about it out of Reuters. Uh, in Frankfurt, German prosecutors have conf confiscated more than 50 million euros worth of Bitcoin from a fraudster. There's only one problem. They can't unlock the money because he won't give them the password. Ugh. The man was sentenced to jail and has since served his term, maintaining his silence throughout while police made repeated failed attempts to crack the code to access more than 1,700 Bitcoin, said a prosecutor in the Bavarian town of Kempton. Quote, we asked him, but he didn't say. Prosecutor Sebastian Muir told Reuters on Friday, perhaps he doesn't know. Voting accident. Bitcoin is stored on software known as a digital wallet that is secured through encryption. A password is used as a decryption key to open the, <laughs> the wallet and access the Bitcoin. When a password is lost, the user cannot open the wallet. The fraudster has been sentenced to more than two years in jail for covertly installing software on other, on other computers to harness their powers to mine or produce Bitcoin. When he went behind bars, his Bitcoin stash would have been worth a fraction of its current value. The price of Bitcoin has surged over the past year, hitting a record high of $42,000 in January. It was trading at $37,577 on Friday, according to cryptocurrency and blockchain website Coindesk. Prosecutors have ensured the man cannot access the largesse, however. Prosecutors have ensured the man cannot access the largesse. <laughs> you mean... You not only got his hardware wallet, but you got <clears throat> his 24 or 12 or 24 word seed phrase. Because, honey, I'm here to fucking tell you this. If you let him go, he's got those 24 words somewhere completely different than his house. Which means he's going to go there and he's going to empty that wallet and he's going to put it into a new wallet and he's going to leave. Expect you to lose all of your good people, the brightest minds, the, the, all the people that are deep thinkers that can grasp what's going on here and, and understand the value proposition of Bitcoin against the value proposition of the world gangster organization that is currently in charge. And you're going to lose all of the people that actually are able to run your shit. Okay, this is the last scene in the book and Ayn Rand wrote, uh, what was it, Atlas Shrugged where they're, they're leaving the, and the cities go dark because all the people that have any intelligence whatsoever are gone. And I'm not even talking about the producers. I'm talking about the maintainers, the janitors, the people that are actually on the ground that know how to turn the knobs to make shit work. They're all gone. I can't wait for that day. I really can't. It's going to suck for a lot of people, and I don't like that part. But it, something has to change. God, something has to change in Ethereum too because an expensive lesson was just incurred. Cyrus McNally tells us 75 ETH2 validators are slashed for introducing potential chain split bug. They were reprimanded by the central authority that is Vitalik Buterin. Okay, Cointelegraph. Uh, this was sometime this morning. Staking infrastructure provider Staked said it had learned an expensive lesson after 75 of its ETH2 validators were slashed on February the 4th 
from the staking pool as punishment for producing competing blocks. In a statement, staked took the blame for the technical issue and said its customers would be fully compensated. The company will pay the penalty of 18 ETH, which is around $29,000 at current prices. An unanticipated reaction to configuration changes caused several nodes managed by state to restart in error. Oh, just a little mistake. Leading them to incorrectly sign a second version of a previously signed block. This introduced the potential for a split in the Ethereum blockchain. According to ETH2 statistics maintained at Beacon Chain, uh, the snafu at state resulted in the largest single validator slashing event to occur since the Beacon Chain project went live on December the 1st, 2020. Validator slashings have otherwise been a rare occurrence so far. Staked admitted it had made mistakes while pursuing technical performance over double signing robustness, describing the outcome as not a good trade-off. Quote, we attempted to scale up the number of beacon nodes to get better performance. The performance gain we achieved weren't worth the additional risk we had inadvertently added. End quote. Staked added that no customer funds were harmed by the bug and they will reimburse affected customers with ETH held in the slashed validators as well as their accumulated rewards. The validators were slashed between blocks, some block number here and some block number there, with the official reason for slashing listed as attestation violation. Anticipation for ETH2 is increasing as overbearing gas fees are preventing ordinary users from being able to transact on the Ethereum blockchain. However, the bug momentarily introduced by state serves as a reminder that significant testing is still required before ETH2 can advance to the next phase of the release. Despite the recent slashing, the number of validators on Beacon Chain is currently at an all-time high of 91,701. This reflects a gain of 25,000 validators over the last two weeks. With 32 ETH per validator, the overall value of Ether stored in the ETH2 deposit contract is now $4.7 billion. All right, a little bit about that. <clears throat> People are taking their actual, ETH, their actual Ethereum and they're staking it to ETH2 in a wallet that they will never be able to access again. They, they are literally trading it for a coin that does not exist yet. Think about that. I, like, let's say I... like. Like I, I'm buying a car from a brand new car company that has four employees, right? Listen, this is the example that, what is that? I can't, uh, Nicola is that truck company that is like, hat does not have anything other than a model prototype and like four or five employees. And yet they're valued at, I don't have no idea what their company's valuation is, but it's entirely too high, whatever the hell it is, even if it was a buck. Because they ain't got shit. They don't have, they got nothing. They got a promise. And people are like buying the truck before it's even built. Who's to say what's going to happen to that company before they even roll the first crappy ass model off their line? That's exactly what's going on here. If those people that bought that truck or prepaid for that truck and that company goes under, do you think that they're going to get their money back? No, they're not. And in this particular case, it's in, from what I understand, it's impossible. Once you put your ether in, it's impossible to get it back out, whether they succeed or fail. The only thing that you can hope for is that it does succeed and you're able to get your ETH2 token on the other end. And that's why this is such a shit show. Okay. That's not the only reason, but well, the, the other reasons are the fact that so many hacks happen on DeFi and the fact that it's such a Rube Goldberg machine that it's easy to stop up the pipes. I mean, not D, well, DeFi is too, but Ethereum it itself is the base layer that runs all the banana show. Is it's too complicated? Things, I mean, bad shit happens to to Ethereum all the time. AWS went out, and all of a sudden, half of Ethereum was basically unworkable because Amazon Web Services had had problems one day. See, this, this, is, this is why I, I Bitcoin. Pro-Bitcoin Senator Cynthia Lummis is now on the Senate Banking Committee. Wow, that was quick. George Georgiev is going to tell us about it from CryptoPotato.com. Writing yesterday says, Cynthia Lummis is the first woman to, sorry, Lummis. Cynthia Lummis is the first woman to represent the state of Wyoming in the United States Senate. She's a member of the Republican Party and has sworn to into, was sworn into the United States 
on uh, on the, to the Senate on January 3rd, 2021. She's become a well-known commentator on Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies and has said she is working towards educating other Senate members and officials on their merits. Now she's also on the Senate Banking Committee. Senator, Senator Cynthia Lummis is going to be serving on said committee and says these committees, or actually, yeah, she said these committees oversee issues that are very important to Wyoming, like rural broadband, public lands, and financial innovation. Let's get to work, she tweeted. Interestingly enough, Senator Lummis recently appeared on the popular, popular, the popular Pomp podcast hosted by Anthony Pompliano to discuss everything crypto related, ranging from her passion for Bitcoin to her ideas on how to educate Senate in or on these matters. Commenting on said matter, she said, quote, I want to reach out to people who are listening to your podcast to help with this. We're forming a financial innovation caucus in the Senate. We hope to use it as a springboard to educate members in the United States Senate and their staff about Bitcoin specifically, other opportunities in cryptocurrencies, financial innovation and blockchain. It goes without saying that Lummis becoming a senator was a step forward for the entire cryptocurrency industry, and her becoming a member of the Senate Banking Committee is also undeniably favorable. As Crypto Potato reported earlier in November 2020, Senator Lummis is a Bitcoin holder since 2013, and she is determined to put the cryptocurrency at the forefront of the country's political debate. Uh, she says... Oh, our own currency inflates. Bitcoin does not. 21 million Bitcoin will be mined and that's it. It's a finite supply. So I have confidence that this is going to be an important player in the stores of value for a long time to come. End quote. In another appearance, <clears throat> this time on Peter McCormick's podcast, the senators or the senator said that most government officials fear the cryptocurrency mostly because they don't understand it. No, I, I disagree with that. Apparently that's what she's trying to change. No, they understand it. She like you know, Senator Loomis. <clears throat> I politely you know rebut your statement here. Your compatriots and colleagues up there on the hill, they understand it. Some more than others, and there are some that are completely ignorant about it. But I guarantee you that in 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 the grand scheme of things, the majority of your compatriots understand what it is. It's the death to their gangster system. That's why they fear it. It's not because they don't understand it. They know exactly what they're looking at. All right. So, <clears throat> okay. Oh, FUD. It never ends, bro. It never ends. Bitcoin's wild ride renews worries about its massive carbon footprint. And guess who? CNBC. Ryan Brown. Brown nosing his way into the hearts and minds of everybody else is writing this one sometime this morning. Bitcoin's price isn't the only thing surging lately. The amount of electricity it consumes is also on the rise. The cryptocurrency has for years alarmed experts due to the sheer level of energy required by so-called miners, which release new coins into circulation. Bitcoin has a carbon footprint comparable to that of New Zealand, producing 36.95 megatons of CO2 annually, according to Digiconomist's Bitcoin Energy Consumption Index, an online tool Created by data scientist Alex DeVries, it consumes as much power as Chile, around 77.78 terawatt hours, according to Digonomist's estimates. The Cambridge Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index, which is a separate tool from researchers at, at Cambridge University, shows a much larger figure of 110.5 terawatt hours, more than the entire annual energy consumption of the Netherlands. That's an unfathomable amount of electricity, says Charles Hoskinson, a cryptocurrency entrepreneur who co-founded Ethereum. I'm going to pause right there. Charles doesn't like you to call him the co-founder of Ethereum, man. He is really pissed off about that because he's a douchebag. The, the blockchain network underpinning Ether, the world's second most va valuable digital coin. Oh my God. Charles... Nobody is ever going to refer to you as the founder of Cardano. Your your name your your claim to fame is always going to be co-founder of Ethereum no matter how much you bitch and cry about it. Bitcoin's energy needs are enormously large. Michael Rock's research affiliate at the Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance told CNBC, it accounts for around 0.5% of total global electricity consumption according to the Cambridge researchers estimates. That's such bullshit. Quote, although we agree the amounts are ludicrous right now, there is still half as much as inactive home appliances 
in the United States consumed, Rock said. The amount of energy wasted on idle home devices like phone chargers and microwaves in the U.S. could power the Bitcoin network for two years. What about Christmas lights? Bitcoin isn't controlled by any single authority like a central bank, but a disparate network of computers, so-called miners. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we know all that. We don't really need to go into that shit. <clears throat> Nevertheless, Bitcoin believers argue that disputes about its environmental impact are missing the point. Quote, energy use in itself is not bad. Melton Demirs, chief strategy officer at digital asset management firm CoinShares, told CNBC, quote, sending and storing emails use energy. Yet we don't infer email to be bad because it consumes energy. What we have here is people trying to decide what is what is or is not a good use of energy, and Bitcoin is incredibly transparent in its energy usage, while other industries are much more opaque, end quote. Demir's questioned why the banking industry, for instance, wasn't under more scrutiny for its own energy usage. She said Bitcoin miners were incentivized to use renewables because it's getting cheaper to produce it. Most, uh, sorry, but most Bitcoin mining facilities are located in China, which is still heavily reliant on coal-based power. Though the Chinese, pro though the Chinese province of Sichuan is known to attract miners due to its cheap electricity uh, and rich hydropower resources, the level of power generation capacity fluctuates depending on the season. Then there's the question of how Bitcoin is used. Many investors today consider Bitcoin to be a form of digital gold rather than an efficient payment system. Digiconomist estimates that the energy footprint of one Bitcoin transaction is equivalent to 100,000 payments on the Visa network. <laughs> the cryptocurrency more than quadrupled in value last year and is up another 27% thus far. Andrew Hatton, head of IT at Greenspace, or sorry, Greenpeace, oh my God, Greenpeace is weighing in on this shit, said the larger issue at hand is that we're largely powering 21st century technology with 19th century energy sources. Quote, Bitcoin spiraling energy usage is largely down to the huge amount of data crunching needed to create and maintain the cyber, this cyber currency. But their fast-growing hunger for electricity is just an early symptom of a much bigger problem to come, Hatton told CNBC. Quote, as online services become bigger and more complex, the demand for computing power is bound to go up over the next few years, and that will require more energy, he added. The problem is that only about a fifth of the electricity used in the world's data centers come from renewable sources, and that's just not good enough. So the FUD continues. It's out there. This was today. I'm not reading something from last month or last year. This is from, let's see, what is it? Yeah, published Friday, February the 5th, 2021 at 4.32 a.m. So that's when Ryan Brown was brown-nosing his way into the hearts and minds of the idiocy. Guys, this is the old, one of the oldest pieces of FUD, and they just recycle it. Why, did, why am I reading you recycled bullshit so you know that it's there? It, this... When you hear me stop reading stories about the energy FUD or the price FUD or whatever other kind of FUD, that's the day that you need, that you can stop worrying about about it. But until that time, we're going to have to combat this every single day. So be prepared. Be prepared to like you know stick you know stick to your guns, man. Don't let these people don't let these people tell you what's up because they don't know. And even if actually most of them, well, many of them do know, but they're just repeating the FUD on purpose. Either maybe they're salty that they didn't buy in or more likely their bosses are telling them exactly what to say. I don't know. I don't care. All I know is that I got my stash. I'm happy. My kids are going to be happy. I, You know, things actually there's, thank God for Bitcoin because if it wasn't there, I'd be in a, I mean, I'd be freaking out if I didn't have just even the, the scant amount of Bitcoin that I have. If I didn't have that, I, or even if I didn't know, like, like, let's say that I was way back, you know, 2014, heard about Bitcoin, but didn't know dick about it. <clears throat> I'd be, I'd be scared as I'd be scared out of my mind with what's going on right now in the fi legacy financial markets it's the the whole thing is so bad it's just so bad so thank god for bitcoin that's going to do it for the morning roundup
Daily Train Wrecked is brought to you by Zectro, which is at Z-E-C-T-R-O-1 on Twitter. And uh, yeah, okay, let's just let's just do this in order. Craig Wright's Guide to Parting Fools with Their Money. Play number one, The Empty Promise. How to pull it off? Find followers with the memories of goldfish and overpromise a bunch of stuff to pump your ass at. When they're in despair over your previous empty promises, make new ones. And then he's got three screenshots from B Hoarder One. That's at B Hoarder One. BSV works, but BTC and ETH are stealing the talent and capital. I think we lost. I supported BSV because I thought Craig would lead a revolution. He would rather let Bitcoin die than sign Genesis Block to appease the exchanges and miners. Hold your BTC. Another one from the same person, BSV will be the only Bitcoin on exchanges. That price will be a minimum of $10,000. Markets will panic buy to insane heights, true Bitcoin heights. The world has not yet realized the true Bitcoin. Here's the third one. BTC shooting through 27,000 definitely shook my resolve. I definitely cracked, but I finally feel like we've turned a significant corner. We have some killer apps and Craig, the legal pit bull. He's fierce. Now there, that's the mistake. We have Craig, the legal pit bull. Does, I, and, okay, the fact that it's Craig making me laugh anyway, but let's say it's like uh, let's, uh, an Ethereum guy saying, we have Vitalik, the boy wonder. Or let's go to BCH and say, we have Roger, the master marketer. See how this fails? It always fails. And I especially like the fact that the, he should have put those two first and then put this one, this one last where the, the, he should have put the first one last BSV works, but uh, Bitcoin and ether are stealing the ta- talent and capital. I think we lost. I supported past tense BSV because I thought Craig would lead a revolution. Right? So he, like at the end of this one, it's like, hold your BTC. He completely flipped dude. I mean, the guy completely flipped. Now check it out. Play two. The Nigerian prince, find the dumbest billionaire in the world and sell him shares of an imaginary trust containing millions of Bitcoins. Check this shit out. This looks like a Reddit post from Z-H-E-L-L, which says, all of the following is from info that I have read in many different places over the past three years. The trust doesn't hold keys exactly. It holds a software that allows to generate the private keys of the early Bitcoins, Wright did the trust after Dave Kleeman announced him of not deleting all his coins after the darknet started using Bitcoin for hard drug stores. So the trustees don't care if Wright deleted the keys as it is Wright that asked to create the trust for his own benefits. Wright already, check this one out, Wright already sold rights to a big part of the Bitcoins in the trust to Calvin Air so that he would fund his current in-chain research business Wright will then give these Bitcoins to Calvin when he gets the keys back. Dude, if true, because we don't know if this is true. I don't know who the hell Z hell is, okay? And the guy may be completely full of shit. All these screenshots may be completely full of shit. But if true, if Wright sold, like made a sale of coins that he doesn't, he doesn't have access to yet, or somehow, I don't know how, and Calvin is still sitting on the couch thinking that, that Wright's going to like give him the coins that he bought. Oh my God. And only a degenerate, only in degeneracy land will you find just idiocy like this. Now, Zetra continues, note, your mark should be so stupid that should hundreds of addresses from your tulip trust list sign calling you a fraud and saying you've never owned these addresses, the global rube will continue to finance you and continue to accept valid your IOUs. And lastly, such an incredible combination of fabulous wealth and extreme gullibility and stupidity may seem too good to be true, but open up your dictionaries to the entries for rube, mark, a gullible or certified gray A moron, and you'll see Calvin Ayer's picture. D- did Calvin Ayer actually pay money to get access to coins that Wright says he already has access to, but somehow has to wait for the 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 lawsuit to finish? It's sad. 
It's it really is, man. It's just it's completely sad. There's one more from Bitcoin hoarder or B hoarder one. He says he makes so many false promises that he doesn't keep. Don't you remember? I will sell all my shit coins in 2020. Yet he has four million BTC. He makes us sell and he hodls. It's not fair. If I ignored him, I'd have three million dollars in Bitcoin instead of a hundred thousand dollars in BSV. Wow. Man, God, that's sad. And that calls that calls for a joke because we got to get out of the sadness and into a joke. Dad says jokes is bringing you terrible joke corner this morning. I called the doctor. My wife is going into labor. What should I do? He asked me, is this her first child? No, this is her husband. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.